In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's day is going beautiful. Hope the sun is shining. We've got an incredible guest for you today, Ryan McCormick. He's a publisher. He's a lot of things. I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he's not the only reason we're here today. We're here to talk about the, the life and the wisdom of Stuart Wilde. But before we get into him, Ryan, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit. Sure. My name is Ryan. Ryan McCormick. And I, uh, I have the pleasure of uh, knowing Stuart Wilde, working with him, being his publicist, but I, I'm generally seeking a, a, a passionate seeker. I'm always uh, seeking the truth no matter where it lies. So I had a sensible curiosity. And that's how I met uh, the legendary metaphysical visionary Stuart Wilde. So he's one of those people that was seeking out, uh, I guess, a, a person. He, he's, he seemed to be the most rebellious person I've ever met in metaphysics. He would openly, I think, make fun of people in New Age movement because he thought they were... They were very new agey and they were like gurus and he really wasn't a fan of gurus at all. So I found that he was refreshingly original and he had an incredible sense of humor. And when I met him in person, we just clicked and it was, it was amazing just to learn from him. But he, he's one of those people that was a big trailblazer. He, um, he had Wayne Dyer as one of his students and, he was really uh, respected and beloved by Wayne Dyer. So I, you know, you know, people like David Icke that really had a lot of respect for him. So it was just interesting to, to watch him, you know, go and teach. So, but to summarize who I am, I'm, I'm just, I would say I'm just some regular guy, some, some guy who became Stuart Wilde's publicist. I also uh, interview spiritual teachers as well. And I don't know, just some regular guy. I consume all the pizza in your house. <laughs> Consumer of pizza, spiritual seeker. <clears throat> I love it. I love it. What do you think it was initially that drew you to Stuart Wilde? What initially drew me was I was at a point in my life where I was about three years away from leaving all forms of organized religion. I was really committed to it. And once I had left, I was kind of in that, still in that anger 
phase. And while organized religion is all about telling you how what is happening to you is happening to you externally and that there's another being outside of you that is controlling everything that you need to appeal to another being. And you worship. Stuart was all about personal responsibility and it was so radically different from anything I've ever come across. So he, when I was reading it, listening to his teachings, he wasn't saying, oh my, you know, I'm the person that, ha that has the answers because when I finally met him in person, I was, I was trying to get some assessments as to why things were the way they are in my, in my life. And he's like, it's all you. It's like you, you are personally responsible. What you're seeing in the outside world is, is a direct reflection of who you are inside. And then I found that absolutely fascinating. So I think that because he was, um, he had a very dramatic uh, teaching style and because he had a sense of humor, I never came across a teacher that had an outrageous sense of humor the way he did. Mm -hmm. Everyone else took themselves so seriously, and he didn't. And I resonated deeply with that. So I would say that's what really drew me to him. Yeah, I was I was reading as I was preparing for this. First off, I want to say thank you for introducing me to Stuart Well, I didn't even know about him until you until you brought him to my attention. <laughs> my and now pleasure. it's like I can't stop like listening and, and reading his <laughs> stuff. It's so it's so true. I was looking through the book Intuition. And everything in there just started speaking to me, the way in which we react with our senses, the way we see the world, the way we can increase our own sensitivity to all of our senses and understand the world around us better. It's it's really eye opening. Some of these almost technologies that he's he has shown us. It's, it's pretty fascinating to me. Yeah, he did a lot of he did some other things, too, that I thought were very un unusual because I never come across. He was talking about being able to access uh, to access different dimensions. I was right. like, and I was like, I was like, what do you do? You get on a spaceship or something? No. Yeah. He said, what you do is that all these other dimensions, the parallel realities are all alongside of us. And he would really be a big proponent of listening to something called a theta metronome, where it's a certain amount of beats. Your brain frequencies are, are in delta, gamma, theta, beta, alpha, and uh, I think a theta is one brain frequency uh, above delta, which is delta is pretty much where you're sleeping. And he said, if you can maintain your visibility, if you could be, be awake during these periods of time, your brain oscillates at a slower speed. And then in a meditative state, you'd be able to see these different dimensions. I've never been able to do that, but he was adamant about that. And he taught a lot of other people to see these things. And he wrote in his books in a very clear and scientific manner how you were able to access these. So I thought that was very unusual. And his last book that he wrote, great, well, one of the second to the last book, Grace Gaia and the End of Days, he would talk about his experiences and going to some of these darker worlds and the things that he would see. I mean, he was one of the few people that I ever knew that actively enjoyed going to hell when people would say, you know, go to hell. Like, Stuart, go to hell. He's like, yeah, all right, let's go. <laughs> so he'd go there and he'd write about these things. So I found that really fascinating. And he also was a very big advocate of ayahuasca, which mm. is a, uh, you know, I think it's the mother, uh, they call it, sometimes they call it the vine of death. And the first night I met him, you know, one of the first times we, you know, he introduced me to that and that was a life-changing experience. And that was, he really taught people, you know, the benefits of that. It's fascinating to think that that long ago, like you're seeing a resurgence of these, these plant medicines, ayahuasca and mushrooms yeah. and these different, potential doors that help you access not only your inner self, but other dimensions as well. And it's, he was so far ahead of the curve. And when you listen to what he says today, it resonates, even though he said it so long ago, it resonates today with what's happening in our world. Yeah. 
It um, he was towards the end before he died, which I can't believe it's going to be ten years. <laughs> he was really talking about the return of all the tyrants, but he was also talking about how they were going to fall. I mean, he he would make these predictions about it, but he was really you know always he was a big passionate proponent of working on yourself, shadow processing, which I'd never heard of, and that. The shadow processing is kind of being emulated by another individual named Jeff Berwick, who's with the Dollar Vigilante. And this person, mm -hmm. I listen to him, and some there's some certain teachings that this gentleman Jeff Berwick has, and Stewart have, and I, I think it's kind of interesting that some of the people that are out there, that the people I consider to be very cutting edge, they're saying similar things. So I, I believe that some of the things that Stewart talked about were on a certain frequency. So. People that are, were similar to Stuart are, I think, in within his range. We're all talking about things that are very crucial. And the shadow processing was an absolute game changer as far as uh, evolution, for me at least. And I know a lot of people are working on themselves now more than they've ever had. Yeah, it, I think I would have to agree. I think that's the answer to getting us into a better spot or making the world better is that everybody needs to become the best version of themselves. And in doing so, the world kind of takes itself to that next level right there. What are, if, if, what was, as his publicist, what was your relationship with him like? It was, it was pretty, um, it was pretty interesting for, he was, he was like very humble and we'd get media for him. So it was great that the media was interested, but he was very humble. He didn't want to like tout his virtues. I was like, well, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, you're a publicist. <laughs> and the whole idea, maybe, maybe uh, the way I became his publicist is kind of interesting, I think, because about three years prior, I was listening to him and I was really kind of like, I found this, I found him really fascinating. One time I stayed up till five in the morning to try to speak with him on coast to coast and I wasn't able to. And then I found out that he was going to Las Vegas and he was doing this event. So all I wanted to do was meet him. And as soon as I met him, something clicked and we, we wanted, I wanted to talk to him with him afterwards. And then I became his publicist. So yeah. it was, it was kind of, it was pretty surreal to know that here's a guy who I really respected became his publicist and then he became a really good friend. And it was just, it was awesome because in one way about it, you know, we would, we would talk and collaborate on certain things and, you know, share about what some of the ways he wanted to put things out. But he was, um, he, the, the reaction I always got from hosts is that he was, he was always fascinating because he, there was so many different ways he could go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost scary when you meet an original thinker because they're yeah. showing you things that you, you've never heard of before, even though they're all around you. Was that the kind of sense you got when you became friends with him? Yes. I, I got the sense from him, Matt, he was very cutting edge mm -hmm. and he made the right people feel uncomfortable. Ah. So if you were fake, if you were phony, if you were full, of, if you were just somebody who had bad intentions, you got very uncomfortable around Stuart, and I, I love that. I, I love the fact that he, I love the fact that he wasn't afraid to make other people upset. He wasn't seeking admirers. I mean, it was nice. I think I think he, he liked when people appreciated his teachings, but he also didn't have any problem with speaking his mind, speaking what he believed was the truth. I mean, I never saw a person say uh, the f word several times when he was speaking he was, he was addressing this entire audience in vegas and he was saying at this and at that and he, he was using the but it was great i thought it was, it was really funny some people are like oh I, he's cursing and i don't i don't want to be a part of this i'm like that's exactly the kind of people you don't want to hang out with so mm -hmm. he was kind of good he's kind of <laughs> leading it out 
but those that ever sticking around, it was really cool. So he he, he definitely attracted a, um, a definitely a, a good amount of people. And the people that were really close to Stuart, I'd say his inner circle, I'm still in contact with a lot of those people today. And they've all gone on to become very successful. I think Stuart had a, um, a profound impact on individuals where he was a teacher's teacher. So um, I'll give you two examples. Uh, Jeff Casper, Yona Brindis, they uh, they do this thing called uh, they, they're energy healers, and I know they work with Stuart, and they're incredibly successful. Richard Tyler worked with Stuart; he's he's a very successful musician. So a lot of people that work within his inner circle all went on to do certain things. So it was just um, it was just interesting to be around a person who you know wasn't afraid to to speak his mind to be original and. Uh, when it came down to a spiritual teaching, you know, I said, well, one of some of the biggest lessons he always talked about, you know, tenderness, love, generosity, but he also was passionate about, you know, being original, being true to yourself. Did, did he talk about how he, be, how he came to the insights that he came to? Like some of the stuff that I have seen only being introduced to him recently is, you know, I see the books, I see the lectures, but I, I haven't begun to understand how he began to see the world in which the way he does. Do you know about that story or, or how that came to be? I can't say with a hundred percent certainty how he gained all these insights. Right. But when I, I'd say that through conversations with him, through things that I've read with him is that he had, he has been all those people who would always be in a meditative state. He was mm. never afraid not to explore consciousness. So I'd say probably through ayahuasca, probably through, transcendental meditations where he would use the theta metronome he would mm. talk a lot about astral projection he would talk a lot about traversing into these other dimensions and he believed in something or i think he, uh, other people saw it it was called the luna world the luna and what it was it was it was this parallel reality similar to earth and i think it's what what a person what they were on their inside or who they were truly are was a representation so if a person was like a kind person They'd be presented as a little bit more majestic and kind in this reality. But if they were presenting in our world as like kind, but they're full of crap, the real version of them would be in this world. And he would talk about the Luna as a place where what happened in there would be something that would manifest eventually here. Mm. So I think he got some of his insights as far as his predictions go. He was talking about the coming global financial collapse back in 20, I think he was talking about in 2009. Mm. And he would have several visions. So he, he would have these visions. He would write them down. And some of these things would come true. And it, it would be profound how they would happen. But he, I think he was a little nervous about it, too. He always thought that Gaia, the Mother Earth, was going to strike back against humanity and take humans out because he thought that we're being very vicious to the animals and being very vicious to the uh, you know the, the environment. It's pretty, it's pretty wild, some of the stuff he came up with, though. So his insights, I think, came from a number of different ways. He was incredibly intuitive as well. He, right. he could read people very quickly. Yeah. Do you think, he, in a lot of his lectures, he tells people about, like, this is how I developed this sense. You know, mm -hmm. I I believe, he, from what I was listening to, he was talking a lot about the, the, um, the right brain versus the left brain mm -hmm. and the analytical scalpel of the left brain and how back in... You know, I think he was speaking about Julian Jane's ideas, or maybe they were his ideas that mm -hmm. spoke about the bicameral mind and how we've changed and and, be, and evolved through then. And I see a lot of that now. Like you can you can see like mental images are just as important as ling as linguistics. But in the West, we we don't ever treat mental imagery. We don't treat the creative aspect of ourselves the same way we do our linguistic ability. It's almost like we give those a higher order of thinking. It's, it's yeah. strange like that, right? Yeah, it's 
very strange. And having <laughs> had the pleasure of working with people like Dr. James Hart, or interviewing him, talks about the power of the brainwave frequencies and how left and right brains, uh, side of your brains are very different. But I mean, he was always, Stuart was always a big proponent of you know, creative energy. Yeah. So yeah, some of these uh, things that he came up with, I would say some of his uh, mannerisms were also a direct reflection of, of tapping into that intuition. And I would say when it comes to analytical mind, he I think he used the analytical mind as a way of uh, describing a scientific methodology of what he was experiencing on his right brain. So if he had an intuitive feeling or a vision, or, uh, this is something why, why it would happen. He wanted to be sure to explain in a scientific manner why it would be the way it is. So some of his recent books, I think it was, is I'm pretty sure it was God's gladiators. He was explaining how to traverse a certain dimension or the frequency of light or why you're able to see certain things. And so he would, okay, so he'd have the vision of it and he had the intuitive vision and then he would be able to utilize the left part of his brain to back it up. It's pretty wild. Yeah, that is, it's super wild. It, yeah. I, I'm big into psychedelics and I, mm -hmm. I, I love the ideas of people becoming a better versions of themselves and healing themselves, whether it's PTSD or optimization through ayahuasca or mushrooms. Mm -hmm. But it seems like what a lot of people have problems doing, what Stuart did amazingly was be able to translate that vision that you see in that mm -hmm. state into reality. A lot of people, myself included, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. It's very mind blowing to see the things you see when you're in that heightened state of awareness, very difficult to bring them back and try to explain them. And that seems to me to be something that Stuart could do. You know, he, um, he, he was able to do it and he was also able to put it in a way that, um, it was a language that people could understand. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. I have a couple friends who've had near death experiences and what they experience is, is indescribable but they were able to kind of pull into some of the main ideas as to what was going on. And, you know, I always asked Stuart, I always wanted to, I was always insatiably curious as to, you know, what was going on? Why were we here? What's the purpose of things? And he had a, a way of explaining things, but he also was open to the, well, really saying that, you know, everyone's on their own journey mm. and he never had that guru mentality. Yeah. There was a person who I met. I won't be able, I can't give you their name <laughs> because I have to protect this, but this person is well known, very famous. They're they're considered a quote a big big guru, and I spent about two hours with this person, and I wasn't impressed at all. I was not impressed at all. I I feel like I walked away from that experience. It's like I didn't learn anything from this person. But then when I was talking to Stuart, it was it was, it was completely different because again he wasn't like saying you know look at me I'm I'm above everyone mm. else. He's all the he was just like you know I'm exploring things. I'm exploring. I found certain ways i found certain doorways that you can explore here's a trail of breadcrumbs behind so yeah. he would like explore and do these things but he would also want other people to have the tools to see them for themselves yeah i think that that's the the optimum lesson in self-discovery is that it's self-discovery you got to find yeah. it you know and people can lead you to the breadcrumbs in there but was there a particular book or a particular teaching that you found really reached out and grabbed you? You know, his very first book is called Affirmations. I should have brought it with me. Hold it here because because he autographed it. And oh, nice. I read this book. I, I was in a library one time. I was bookstore. And this is a book that really changed my life. And I, I, the reason why I got it is because I, I opened up the book and he had this look like this in the back, like, you know, please buy me or buy something. Yeah. And I was like, I, this guy, it's something about this guy. He's, 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 he seems he's a character. And I bought the book just on that intuition. And when I was reading that book, that book completely changed my life. 
because his whole uh, premise in there, I think one of his quotes was, you know, life, uh, you know, seriousness is a disease of the ego. And I love that. That was groundbreaking for me. I was like, what? And everything in there was about personal responsibility, that you have to take personal responsibility for your own actions, that all things that are happening to you are a direct result of your beliefs. And I never heard of anything like that before because everything else I was looking for out there was all about, okay, here's a pattern, here's a belief system, and all that stuff there was about to, it was eventually about leading you on someone else's path, leading you on someone else's journey, transferring your power to someone else. And, I, and his thing was not, not about that at all. So it was so fundamentally different. I thought it was very radical at the time. So when I discovered that book, it was just, um, it was a big part of that shadow processing. It was a big part of, uh, you know, I, I learned so, I got so much introspection from it. And then his follow-up books, I believe that were, were amplifying that same message. And uh, he talked a lot about, uh, yeah, this other really interesting book called uh, The Money Bible. And he had a couple principles in there that I still use in business to this day. He said, you know, you have to, if people are going to transfer their wealth to you, they have to feel comfortable. They have to feel comfortable transferring a part of their security. So make sure that you provide a tremendous amount of service. Give them a lot of energy. Give them love. But give them, so he never, like, I've never heard anyone describe it this way, but I've used that principle in business, and it's been wonderful. So his insights and his way of describing things I thought were pretty, uh, pretty interesting. And I want to bring one other part about his uh, method when he was talking about money. He said this really interesting quote, and I know it made a lot of people upset. Mm -hmm. He said, "Whoever said that money was the root of all money was the root of all evil? Flat out, didn't have any." <laughs> and a lot of people upset. Yeah, it's true. I think that my my um my father in law has a great quote on money. He says, "It doesn't make you better, but it sure makes life easier." Yeah, right. And for exactly. people who have been on both spectrums, if you've had money. And it was Jaja Gabor who said, I've been rich and I've been poor. And let me tell you, rich is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's good. And he, he yeah. said that it's part of the earth plane. It's part of the experience of coming yeah. here. So that that's what yeah. you have to do. But the way that he was talking about it, he said, he, was, he talked about the metaphysics of the poverty consciousness and the metaphysics of abundance. So mm -hmm. and again, if you don't want, he never read any books about personal finance. At least he led that to you in an energetic way as to you know why you're going to be attracting more wealth and more opportunities. So again, that personal responsibility aspect I felt was so groundbreaking because it took away any power from any other guru. I think all these people that are out there, they're all trying to get they're all trying to get your attention. They're all trying to own a piece of you. They're they're trying to own. They will want you to have allegiance to them. And when a person doesn't puts the information that says you know here's some gifts that you can have. And I don't care if you have allegiance to me. I think it's incredibly original and very empowering. And I think that's a big reason why Stuart had such a really uh, tremendous following. He had a lot of people that really respected him because he he walked with people. He didn't walk on top of them. He walked alongside of them. Yeah. And I think, that, correct me if I'm wrong, is that is that something that he tried to teach people to do? Because it seems that in the world we live in today, it's almost the antithesis of that. It's almost yeah. the, hey, let's try to get people to give you your stuff, and and then you you control them. You know, they give you your power. You walk yeah. on top of them, and of course, yeah, the, <laughs> the world's going into. I think the world's going into a hard tyranny. It's like the world, they're they're trying mm. to push us into some some kind of global tyranny. <laughs> so we're talking about yeah, that. he talked about that too. 
but he wa- he walked alongside people. He walked with me. I mean, he did this event in Las Vegas, and he did a bunch of things where he was speaking a bunch of times. And I saw him there twice, and both times, instead of going into his you know room and hiding away, he would hang out at the bar and hang out with hang out with people and have a beer and then have yeah, drink among people. He was just it was pretty cool. I never saw that before. And I, all these other things I went to, I always went to and I went to see someone speak. They were always kind of hidden away, but he was he was accessible. So I found that to be very unusual, and that's another reason why I really respected him. Yeah, it's interesting to me as I went back and started listening to some of his talks. You know, it's almost I really it really resonated to me the part you wrote about him being a teacher's teacher because he was saying all these things before any of these newer people came out and were talking. You know, I I I listened to his left brain, right brain, you know, and it reminds me of Julian James. There was a lot of empowerment on there that it seems like Tony Robbins was kind of had picked up some things from and he, it seems to me like he was one of the original. Did, was there a lot of theosophy in there? Like I was picking up a little bit of theosophy in there. Theosophy, you mean in terms of uh, his, <coughs> his, I mean, his uh, philosophy, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he had a couple of insights. He, he wanted to elaborate on things, and everything he came down to was really ultimately about empowering the individual, right. but also some of them were about, uh, I think, some hard lessons as well. He, um, he was really quick to point out the, all the ways that the system was trying to manipulate you. So he would be really quick to explain as to, as to why, you know, you, you don't, you don't, we have, you have so much power. You don't even realize it. He goes, you have the power to change things. You have the power to do all these different things. And one of the worst things that these control freaks are doing is they are making you believe that you don't have the power. They're giving you the illusion that you don't have this power. And it's like, no, you, you have so much power. And he also would say things like, you know, life was never meant to be a struggle. It's like this whole idea that life's some trial and tribulation. He's like, no. He's like, it's meant to be a walk in the park and a breeze. And he would also say things like, you know, don't anticipate, you know, God coming down to fix everything. And he's like, God's out playing golf. It's like, yeah. you're going to fix everything. It's like, it's up to you. So he would have these little mannerisms. But everything we would do, we would do ultimately was about, I think, empowering other people. Because when he... It came to be, I think he had an insight into this world naturally that other people didn't have. And I think he, I think he had a lot of empathy for people because he realized how trapped they were and he wanted to uh, really help them out. And he was part of a group that I, I identified with. I didn't realize who I was. And I'm sure you're probably one of these Georges that he called them fringe dwellers. And he said, these are people that are, when they grew up, they knew they were naturally unusual. And they they kind of they're in the system. They, they're operating outside the system. They've never been in the system, and I, that's exactly what I, what I am as a fringe dweller. And he said I, I he is like the champion of the fringe dweller. So he, he always wanted to, to find people and help people out that knew they weren't part of this thing, but kind of help them navigate and survive, and also wake other people up. I love that description because uh, I was actually talking to a uh, one of the guys that are commenting on here, Simon Vanderels, and we were talking about. Some people live on the edge of the forest and they can go into the forest and then come back into the village, go into the forest and come back into the village. And it seems to me like that's, that's so much of the fringe. That's so much like a steward, the king of the fringe dwellers. You go out there and you get this information that's revealed to you and you can bring it back and help people. And maybe do, do you think that that's what his legacy is, is to continue to give information to the rest of us fringe dwellers so we can carry on this idea of helping people through seeing the world differently? I think that's part of it, but I also think one of his legacies, one of the big part of his legacy is 
that you can be, you should explore. And he mm. was very adamant about exploring and, and personal, the personal responsibility. And he, and he said, you know, basically you can be successful. You can be incredibly successful and treat other people well. You can have an abundance of consciousness and, you know, be healthy and, and, oh, sorry, and treat people really good. And you can also be a teacher while not being a guru. So this idea that he would, you know, just, you know, teach, explore and teach radical concepts and not be looked at as somebody who is, you know, a, a Buddha, it's, it's, just, it's just completely different. So I think his, his, um, he was like the anti-guru. Anti, um, I, I would say that would be one of his legacies. But another part of his legacy would be his innovative teachings about you know, experiencing other dimensions and really talking about ayahuasca, the benefits of ayahuasca, mm -hmm. healing your shadow is another part of it. Uh, being a, a passionate advocate of love, tenderness, and generosity, not just in the sense of, okay, we should do this, but he's like, but the sacredness of it. And he also talked about your word as law. And he would also talk about certain things, the power of your words, that if you speak certain things, you're always going to attract things to it. I mean, I know he's talking about the law of attraction in some ways, but he always tried to take it a step further. And the fact that he was able to, I guess, see certain things, he wanted other people to see the same things he was seeing. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing, but a dangerous thing too, right? I mean, I guess that's maybe why he had some animosity towards gurus, if, if, the guru is getting someone to see something. It's it's mm. not like he's allowing the individual to see it for themselves. He's showing them a vision, which is kind of an authoritarian thing to do. Is that so, what, what do you think? What do you think it was between him and the gurus that really wasn't meshing? Well, I think because the gurus were all based in ego. I think he, mm. the gurus wanted one admiration. There's a person who uh, <laughs> I'll mention his name because Deepak Chopra also started with Stuart. Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer were, were kind of like Stuart would be like the main person speaking at these engagements. This Deepak and um, and Wayne Dyer were on there as well, and I think he certain there were certain aspects of uh, Deepak where other people they were all ego, they were all about themselves. So he, whereas he was trying to present a vision and trying to present teachings for the people, I think others were all about trying to glorify themselves and deity themselves, mm. and I, I don't think he was. He didn't respect other people that were focusing their teachings about them. He said he didn't want to develop a cult of personality. He was really mm -hmm. against that. And because of him, because of the way he spoke, I think he actually prevented a lot of people from falling into cults. I think some of his uh, people that really like listened to him, I I'm sure that probably protected or insulated from joining any kind of cults because he, when you are able to empower other people and show them the beauty of their power, and also teach yeah. them, you know, how to protect themselves. You're not going to fall be susceptible for other people. So I think he was really against the gurus because he did not appreciate the fact that they made it about them and not about the the, the followers and the, the students. It's interesting to think about how spirituality has the sometimes has the the negative aspect of that, right? Like yeah. some people who are really big and, and they're great spiritual speakers, they tend to build up this cult of personality around them. You know. It's probably it's probably hard to resist too. I mean, yeah, I can imagine. If you go out and you're, and you're I mean, if you're speaking and all of a sudden people, all these people admire you, and uh, you know, it's it's a nice it's a nice thing. I mean, it probably feels really good when you have people that admire you and love you and praise you up and down. But I'm sure that you know, with a little bit, you know, it probably gets out of the point where you know you start believing your own press, and yeah. you know, 
I guess sometimes, you know, it's human nature. I mean, you can't believe that everyone's going to do the right thing all the time. And I'm not going to say that Stuart was uh, 100%, uh, you know, right all the time. He, he There were certain things that we, we definitely disagree on. <laughs> and I respectfully disagree with him on. So uh, one of them was, it was about cannabis. He would say that if you smoke cannabis, you know, you're going to tear holes in your etheric field and you're going to let the uh, entities come in. And I respectfully disagree with him, but I also saw where he was coming with it. Because, you know, I think sometimes if you you know, do cannabis and you get super paranoid and you start freaking out and you start having negative experiences, I can understand why he would come to that conclusion. But for other people, you know, cannabis is one of those things where it, it takes somebody from a high stress state to a relaxed state and they're more pleasant. So we would have our, uh, our disagreements with that. But getting back to Stuart, um, you know, he 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 wasn't not like anyone's perfect, but he, he his intentions were always in the right place, I believe yeah, that, that's a great measure of a person is someone who is always trying to do the best or do what's right. You know, yeah. even though it may not manifest in that way, you can get a good vibe. But he spoke a lot about being able to see people's intentions or see their yeah. energies too, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, when, when he was, when I first met him, he's, he was looking at me and I think he was looking over my head and I was like, oh, what is this guy? Look, what is he, what is he looking at? And I'm like, oh, he's probably checking to see if I'm evil or not. So <laughs> I think way past the test. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think he he had a heightened sensitivity. He also had people that were around him that were very sensitive as well that could see energy fields. I have a couple of friends that are can see energy fields and and see I don't know if it's orbs, but they can actually kind of get, can intuitively feel or sense uh, the the energy frequency of a person, knowing that it does change. So, yeah, I mean, he wasn't. Um, it, it's not a perfect system, but he was able to you know to sense and feel people out pretty good. Nice. I got a comment here that maybe you can address. I think it sure. it was is something that um. Uh... This one comes to us. What's up, Simon? Thanks for chiming in. Simon says, Stuart sounds similar to uh, Krishnamarty, although I think he had to really push people away not to be his followers. I'm not familiar with Stuart's work and thought, is there a relationship or similarity? To you know, push people away to be not to be his followers? Well, well he's he was talking about the relationship between Stuart and uh, Krishnamarty, who was the, uh, the potential next Dalai Lama, but chose not to be. Okay. Um, I don't think he used to it was pushing people away. He just, he was kind of like, um, he was a person that was, I guess he liked to host the party. He liked right. to, he liked to have people around him and, and just kind of explore together. So I, when it comes to followers, I, I mean, it's kind of strange to this day, you know, knowing him, especially when I was, we talked to him, he, I think he ever really wanted followers. He wanted people that would, that would, would explore with him. So yeah. he would have friends that would, you know, so he would, do things and he would want to talk to people that were also on the same path and learn from them as well. He, I can, he, he was always walking with people. He didn't seek to be a person that would be a, a leader or ruler over someone. And so he never, he never got to that point. And uh, again, that's incredibly unusual because he could have easily done that. He could have easily built a cult around himself. Right. He would have had a lot of people. And I, you know, I've seen other people throughout the years do that. I've seen them, you know, build this, like, and they have some kind of charisma it's incredible how it happens, but he yeah. never got to that point. He never got to the point ever. I don't think he was even attempted by it. Yeah, I, I um, <clears throat> it, it has to be an an incredible set of standards and values and will. You know, maybe you can look at Ram Dass and see something similar, where there's all these people trying to clamor towards you and. It's just kind of at some point in time, not only should it feel good, but it would be scary to think that all these people are willing to do whatever you tell them to do. And in a weird way, 
having that much power is, is something that you should be afraid of. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want, I, I don't want a following or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I that's just me. I kind of want to, I just want to be left alone. Quite right. I, I don't want to, I don't need followers. Well, maybe to take out the garbage and, you know, do some house cleaning. I'd say that I'd keep maybe two followers on hand for that. But, um, yeah, and I think what we're seeing today is is a lot of uh, I think the NFL world is completely immersed in ego. It's so mm. egocentric. And there's a gentleman named Doug Casey who I have pleasure oh, yeah. interviewing. I'm- Very fascinating. He talks about the moral collapse of the West mm. and how people just really don't care that there's no right difference between right and wrong. And when you have that kind of collapse, and you have the people that are really uh, the society is really kind of going off the charts, and then. Another confronted by Nancy Dennison, who had this ridiculous near-death experience. She said that humans are basically animals. She said humans are animals just like the other animals outside that you see, like you know, cats and dogs. They're just a different breed of animal. And mm. you know, you have light beings within the animal. And if the animal is if you the light being within the air secedes all of its power to the ego and the animal, it's gonna act, you know, irresponsibly. But if it's in touch with its spirit, if it's one with the, the light being within then it's going to really start acting morally. It's going to act generously. It's going to act in alignment closer to what that light being truly is and not at the whims of the ego of the uh, animal that it's manifesting. Yeah. So when I was reading through intuitions, Stuart had talked about how we have just begun to overdevelop the left side of the brain. And it sounds to me like that's a lot of what this ego is. And if you look at our society, you could just see it everywhere. Like it's just this, overdeveloped sense of of self-importance that is poisoning everything around us yeah i think so uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty well yeah it, because people seem like they can be easily controlled and they are yeah. easily controlled uh, and it, it, it was shocking in the past few years seeing how easily people are able to be controlled i you know there's certain beliefs that people have i, I completely don't hear to them mm-hmm. i was already i was already outside of society the, the, the normal beliefs that they have so i was always outside and just to see how uh, a lot of people would just drop a hat and just follow something without questioning it, I, I found it really shocking. So I, as far as the, the left brain goes, there's a gentleman named Jason Kristoff who I highly recommend uh, checking out, listening yeah. to. He really nails this when he says the best way to control a person is to control their environment. If you can change the environment, mm-hmm. you can manipulate and control the person. So it's pretty wild. No, it's super wild. What I know that fear seems to be a huge motivator for motivator motivation for people. And it seems to me with with invisible enemies all around us, like there's this idea of fear that's controlling people. What was Stewart's take on fear? Did he ever talk about that with you? Well, he said a lot of the fear was generated from you know the, the people that want to control you. He said if they, if they can control you, they can disempower you. He's like, if you if you can if you put someone in a state of fear they are in a state where they're not critically thinking. And then he also talked about the fear being generated by um, trans-dimensionals or beings that, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be friendly and that that's, they're kind of getting a snack off of you. And when I think about that teaching us and think about maybe some stuff that uh, David Icke has said and some of the other people that, you know, apparently if we have all these beings that are around us that we can't see, I'm sure they're probably getting uh, some nutrients off the fear. But fear, you know, this is according to, at least what I can see firsthand and some of the other people I've talked with that I think fear has an expiration date. You can only get so much blood out of the stone. And if you just, you know, put people in state of fear all the time, eventually it's not going to work anymore. It's going to go flat. 
So I wonder if people are going to be feared out, if they're going to be done with the fear and, and, the, and their tactics are just not going to work. And when the tactics no longer work and they can't make people be in a state of fear, I think that's when they lose their control. So I think fear and control are kind of one and the same. So they have Man. to keep you in a state of fear. That's well put, Ryan. I think that's where Thank we're you. at. Like if you look at, if yeah. you just look at every new act that comes out, it's just trying to be bigger and bigger, but it's actually getting sillier and sillier. Yeah. yeah it's pretty crazy. I was, uh, I, there was a, another person, um, Matthias Essman called, uh, he wrote a book about the psychology of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Talked about mass formation. Right. And that, and he was talking about the psychology behind totalitarianism, how, you know, certain percentage of the population, they will do whatever they are told without questioning. And you have a greater percentage of that population that will do whatever there is to appeal that smaller percentage of the population. So if 10 to 50% of the population are all like, you know, you know, ah, the, the, ten, the, the majority are going to do whatever they, they, they want to pacify that small minority. And then you have the, the, the smallest of the minority within that mass formation are the people that are like, no, I don't believe this at all. And yeah. I'm not going to do it. And those are the people, the fringe dwellers, the critical thinkers, that those are the people that uh, are not going to fall or succumb to this. Yeah. So yeah. It's, we need more. It's, I think we need more of those people. If you're one of those people, I highly recommend having six, seven kids because we need replacements. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We need more people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I think that we could start by getting to reintroduce people like Stuart, to reintroduce some great thinkers out there so that people can build their own foundation so that they can begin to think critically about situations that happen in their life. And, you know, I, it must have been a real gift to get to to be part of that circle, to get to learn the lessons from the source. And I know we're kind of coming up on time a little bit here, but maybe you could leave us a little bit with maybe three of the things that you still carry with you from Stuart to this day and you use in your life. Well, one of the first things I do, I always think in mind is when Stuart passed, I made a commitment to him. I don't know if I ever told him this to him, but I said, I'm going to be your publicist in this lifetime and the next lifetime. Mm -hmm. I will always be your publicist. So I never pass up an opportunity to talk about him. I want people to keep his legacy alive I want future generations to rediscover him. But there are a couple of things that I will always want to keep in mind with him or try to honor Stuart is um, to always explore and to go and to look for truth in places where it is absolutely hard and terrifying. So I, it's it's hard sometimes to, to, to seek the truth out, knowing what I'm going to find or knowing where the truth might actually bring me. So I would say just be absolutely one, be absolutely fearless when it comes to pursuing the truth Two express love, tenderness, and generosity at every opportunity. Like don't pass up an opportunity to offer someone a kind word mm-hmm. or to be a positive reflection in someone's life. You know, just be, be a good person. I, I love that. And three, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. I, that's mm-hmm. another thing I, I always took away from Stuart because I, I think when I was discovering him, I, I was taking life more seriously. I mean, I was always joking around, but I took life very seriously. And when I met with him, he kind of shattered that. He's like, no, he's like, no, this is, this is, you taking this seriously? He's like, you're going to be out of here so fast. He's like, laugh. He's like, laugh. He's like, make, he's like, make death your friend. Mm-hmm. Laugh about this whole thing. He said, you know, if you don't, he basically he took away the fear of life and what could happen and enjoying it. So the fact that he was being very comedic about this. And also I would say that that the confidence and that comedic aspect made a lot of people uncomfortable because when people, make you have a fear over death and make you have a fear that if you don't follow their way, 
that you're going to be in a bad place, it takes away, and you like, don't acknowledge that, it takes away almost all the power. So I'd say that, uh, again, three, live your life and have a lot of fun and laugh. I love it. I love it. This is, uh, I, I just want to say thanks on behalf of myself and the audience to for reintroducing Stuart's legacy to me. And I've already got a couple comments where people are like, hey, this is great. I'm going to have to read some of this stuff. And I, I appreciate it. And I think you're doing a good job at being a publicist. But before, and thank you for those three key points. Thank I you. think those are great points. But before I go, I know this was about Stuart, but where can people find you, Ryan? Maybe we can just introduce you a little bit. Where can people find you? What do you got coming up? And and uh, what are you excited about? Well, I'm, I produce a show called The Outer Limits of Inner Truth. And it's uh, OuterLimitsRadio.com. And that's one I started that year, about four years after Stuart had died. And it was and because I would always ask Stuart questions. And I always wanted to, to, to keep something going where I would interview people. But um, they can learn more about me there. And I, I just want to say that um, you are a fantastic host. You really have a keen way of asking good. You're down to earth. You're very gentle to earth. Thank you. Uh, you're an excellent host. And afterwards, after this interview, I'd like to know if you can, we can speak because I, I like yeah. to do whatever I can to help you out. Because you, you, yeah. you're fantastic at what you do. You're just saying that because it's true. I'm <laughs> and you got that sense of humor too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't it, it takes one to know one man. thank you i really appreciate it uh, so absolutely. ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for hanging out with us today i hope you go and check out uh check out uh stewart's work stewart wild he's got tons of books out there and i promise you if you just begin reading them it'll be very difficult to stop reading them go to ch uh check out ryan's site outer limits check out the radio show and come and hang out with us on true life podcast we'll uh that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for everything. I hope your day is beautiful, and we will see you tomorrow. Aloha. Are there? Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place, and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that... I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.